It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay All empowered. right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso A. Josie, alongside Spence is here. And Amy. Now, last podcast we had on, before we actually get to the substance of it, the two of you had a little bickering battle going back and forth with words with friends. And then mm-hmm. I think your segment, Jamie, was a little uh, subliminal message. <laughs> shot directly at Kareem. Um, Kareem, mm-hmm. you take it that personal? Not really, because you know I'm a winner. I win every day. I get up every day to win the day. And yesterday, <laughs> what'd you say? You, you looking at my hair? I know my hair is not winning right now, but we have a pain in the middle of pandemic right now. So I'm gonna get right as soon as they open up the barbershops. Right, right. <laughs> we had um, on a previous podcast, Mr. Uh, Hildebrand was on from Philadelphia. He was dealing with. Um, uh, we were talking about education and being within the prison system. Uh, we talked about the school to prison pipeline. Um, Kareem, your thoughts on that podcast? I think that, first sure. of all, Hildebrand has done some awesome stuff. And mm-hmm. to be able just to continue to shed light and bring exposure to a population that is really left out. Oftentimes, when we're talking about underserved students, we never even mention the kids that are locked up or are incarcerated. But for him to bring about the issues that um, of a forgotten population, I think that that's awesome, and it continue to bring a spotlight on that. All right, now Jamie, I know you had some things written down on your past from the other day. We didn't get to all of them, but um, what was your general impression of that podcast? I love that he um, never gave up on those students that were there with him, even when they gave up on themselves. So mm-hmm. he continued to push them forward, and that's that's pretty powerful. Awesome, awesome. And I know the last couple of podcasts have been serious. Um, obviously, we want to bring you some good information about a variety of topics. Um, that one happened to be about education. We did cancer. We did um, recovery. Um, so we did a whole bunch of things. The, the goal here is not to focus on our current situation. Again, we keep telling you guys that now's the time to sort of you know do your planning, do your research, get your mind right, your body right, and everything right for the back end of this thing. So um, the part of what we're trying to do here with this season four is not focus so much on what's happening. We all know what's happening. We know what the numbers are and we know what we need to do. So it's, we're trying to get you to plan um, for whatever it is that you want to do in, in your life. So uh, we're trying to bring you a, a variety of topics. And I think today we have a couple of guests on that's going to um, make sure we get our mind off things a little bit and focus on some important things as well, um, but also find some space for us to, to hopefully uh, enjoy mm-hmm. each other. Uh, so Corinne, you, got, you reached out to a couple of people. Um, so who we got today on our podcast? Oh, we, we have the, the infamous and soon to be Dr. Darshell Scott, good friend of mine. Appreciate everything that, you know, she's done, even when, you know, we did the Tide Tuesday together. So Miso, if you want to know where it came from, it actually originated from her. So I just took it, remixed it, reframed it, cooked it up. I wasn't in the Pyrex Bowl, and you know we came up and did it our way. So then I stole it again, and, and I did it again. And we got the, huh? Mm-hmm. How they said they got baking soda. That's what we did. We had some baking soda mixed up, a little bit of water in the Pyrex, and we came out with our own version of Tide Tuesday. Wait a minute, that sounds a little too familiar. Um, again, <laughs> the music cream spins does not align with the environment group if you were going there. So I just had to make that clear. <laughs> The quarantine is going to his brain a little bit, just in case you know, he's learning a little bit. Listen, and we have another good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Terrence, and I'm hoping that sooner or later we can do some collaboration with him. He he has 
uh, awesome, awesome experience and awesome story. So, Terrence, we want to kick it off with you. You know, just introduce yourself and tell us a little about what you do. Okay, uh, my name is Terrence Witcher. Um, I'm an artist slash label owner. Um, also a graduate of Rutgers University's master's program, uh, history, um, global and comparative history. So, um, but with music, uh, with my label, I've been working with music since I was 13. Um, I started this label in 2009 as like basically a um, imprint for my recordings and my friends' recordings. And, um, but then I started to see that how the industry was going and everything, I uh, decided to open this uh, label up to more artists, but with a perspective of uh, artist ownership, meaning that they own their copyrights, um, which is not traditional in the music industry, you know, um, for a long time and even still today, uh, labels are purchasing the copyrights of um, artists, which kind of uh, leaves artists in a uh, bad spot because they're only getting a small percentage of their earnings. They can't do anything with their music. So it's like if they wanted, if they seen, um, if they know somebody that is uh, producing a movie, they personally can't say, hey, use my song. They have to go through all the um, lawyers. They got to go through different um, companies, different people who actually hold their rights and labels can actually sell their rights to other people who could be random, you know, just investors and everything. So now you got 10 to 50 people who have ownership in your music. So yeah. um, a lot of people are seeing that a lot of um, artists are seeing that. So they're like buying back their copyrights and everything like that. But for my label, um, I'm seeking like independent artists who actually you know, want to hold on to their copyrights. And that's what I'm building my uh, label up on. It's independent artists, especially from the New Jersey area, local, um, coming up, um, and who want, who want to learn about the business in an ownership way, you know, trying to own uh, their own creative works as they should. So that's uh, basically what I'm building right now. Mm. Yeah, and Darcel, I know that you, you've had you know, your experiences of being on stage and, and of course traveling. Um, what, what has been your experience like in, in music and being able to make the transition from where you were and to where you are now? Well, you know, when I got into the music industry, it was something that I kind of stumbled over because my dream was to just climb the corporate ladder working in New York City. And then the, right after 9-11, because I am a 9-11 survivor, let me say that, I was there right in the thick of things. So shortly after that, uh, a lot of companies were not renewing their contracts and stuff with different companies. So they gave us our severance package and I reached out to people that I knew in the industry and started singing background for different artists. So I have not experienced the music industry from an artist perspective, but I have seen things that I was good with singing background and being on the same stage or on the same plane, eating the same food. And when I was getting my check at the end of the week where they don't get their checks until the end of February, it seems like to you. You know, so I've had some great experiences. I've worked with some great artists. I've worked with Leela James. I've worked with a lot of artists that were on um, 
Warner Brother Records. Uh, I was able to connect with Damu, who was one of the executives at the time. So they had a lot of artists that were coming out. So I've been very fortunate. I did it for about um, six, seven years, and I was able to keep my lights on and pay my rent. So, but then after a while, you know, it was like, okay, so I got to maintain because I didn't get into this thing sleeping on somebody's couch. Like I've offered my couch to plenty of artists out there, but I, that's not how I got into the game. So I had to get back into the workforce and then that's how I got into teaching. So when, when it comes to hip hop, Jamie, like how did you get introduced to it? So, we wrote the, I wrote the chapter for the book that we're compiling, but I really wasn't introduced to hip hop until I went to high school. <clears throat> My parents didn't allow us to listen to that type of music when I was younger um, and moving around a lot. Um, I kind of, we were a family that was tight. We listened to what my parents said. So going from a small suburban school into Atlantic City High School really opened up that whole world for me. So we so we have the book in collaboration and yeah, Darcel, it's gonna get done. Things take time right now. So stop putting pressure on me. It's gonna get done. You was pressing me. I'm just saying, I just want to know what happened. The, they, the pandemic, that's what happened. Okay. The Rona. The Rona okay. shut everything down. All right. Not the Budweiser, yeah. but the Rona. Okay. No, the Rona. The Rona. Listen, <laughs> and make sure that you are screening people before they come in your house. You know you owe me a bottle, but it's okay. Let's keep it rolling. I do owe you a bottle. And yeah. here's the thing. Because I owe you a bottle and somebody else owes me three bottles, everybody's going to get paid. As long as <laughs> nobody will ever go bottle-less. Yes. Everybody's <laughs> getting a bottle. That's, that's got, I'm like over right now. Everybody gets a bottle. <laughs> so, Misa, I, I want to have some fun, right? So, what was the song for you that connected you to hip-hop and the culture? Wow, I mean that's easy for me. It was uh, Grandmaster Flash? The message probably was the first song that um, really just brought the way that you know my life experiences and the things that I've seen to to the art form. Um, so that mm -hmm. was like, sort of the the connection. Like, I mean, hip hop is the part of who I am. Is this part of my culture? Is the part of the way I see the world? My perspective, how I talk, how I walk is is every bit of me. Um, but to, that was my first experience to actually. Um, see an artist put what I've seen with my own eyes to to, to music, um, mm -hmm. and and it kind of opened up even more because now I'm starting to really make a connection. Not only was it a uh, New York thing, um, and then you know it goes into the NWA and and Easy E era, and I'm like, well, there's people on the West Coast that's going through the same thing that I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So kind of it kind of just opened up doors for me, but the message in it it was very vivid. You know, people pissing on the you know station that they just don't care whatever the lyrics were, but it was very vivid and it told a, a unique story that you know, I was like, well, this is exactly what I see every day. And now the world gets an opportunity to to hear it. And and speaking of that, because you know when I when I do my research, I I try to like compare different eras. So when we had the '60s and everything that that went on, and those that were primarily I want to say infamous in New York. So you have your Bumpy Johnson that he pretty much like ran Harlem in the sixties. And then there was a, a transference to um, Bumpy to, you know, Frank Lewis, Frank Lucas. And then you had another guy by the name of um, 
I think his name was Frank Matthews. I just found out him recently, and he pretty much ran the entire East Coast. Um, and then you you have, you know, Nicky Barnes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're only a couple of years removed from the era of Malcolm X and the era of <clears throat> Dr. Martin Luther King. So when, when you look at hip-hop, and I'm going to you know, transfer it to you, Terrence, when you're looking at hip-hop, was this our escape from everything that was happening and what, you know, Grandmaster Flash was talking about, Terrence? Was this a way for us to be able to still have a voice without actually having that leader? Yeah, I actually believe that that was just the natural transition, um, especially with Black people being very creative um, musically, um, you know, rap's been around for a while. Rap was around in the 60s, but it wasn't rap as in the music industry. It was more so mm-hmm. like just just being creative with each other, rhyming with each other, coming up with things, you know, and, um, and even speech was considered a uh, rap. Like it was a, a political leader named H. Rap Brown. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of, they called them rap. They called them rap and everything. And just the way he would speak, so it's kind of mm-hmm. like even with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and everything, the way they spoke and articulated things, it kind of kind of moved straight into like a uh, something that people can do to to uh, express themselves, and that that would be their voice. So that's that's when the message comes in. Songs like the message and a lot of songs back then, it gives people a voice um, and. It is like a leaderless voice. Like everybody can participate in it. You don't have to be mm-hmm. the leader of hip hop. You can, you, mm-hmm. everybody can join it in any way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So, so Darshaw, do you think that's the reason why they couldn't stop hip hop is because they couldn't control it? So when Jamie said, you know, that she wasn't allowed to listen, I mean, that just really makes me think that because there wasn't one person that was actually in control of the culture that you couldn't stop it because it will pop up somewhere else. Well, you have to look at it too from a perspective of young people having a, a, a means of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're in the schoolyard and you roast the kids, call it roasted now. But you know, we, we call it cracking on each other, whatever it is. That was a form of rap. I mean, if you think about it, mm-hmm. because you when you think about what the early rap music was about, it was mm-hmm. really about you know how well you could spit, really about you know how well you dress and how whack you look because I looked a little bit better, my sneakers were better than yours, type of thing. So you have to think about it in this in a perspective of they were really formulating something and didn't know that it had a name. Okay. You know, Cause that was a form of, of rap then. I, mm-hmm. I think if I could jump in here too, the fact that, cause we talk about this in our presentation that really hip hop did start with, these were kids that created this art form mm-hmm. out, of, out of a necessity, right? So, and, and you look at kids at any age, they're rebellious, right? So they usually go against, you know, the, the norm and they, they want to have a voice. And you have these adults mm-hmm. saying, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. And then I think part of the reason why it gained so much momentum, it came from a place of, of struggle. It came from a place mm-hmm. of, of hurt. It also came from a place of celebration. It came from all these different emotions, but these were kids that were carrying it on, right? So mm-hmm. um, adults 
today have a hard time trying to control kids, right? So mm -hmm. back then you have, you know, kids that are identifying this. And then now some adults at that time too was like, well, they were only telling the truth, so I'm going to kind of support it. Then I mm -hmm. think it kind of got to the point where uh, I was going to say the powers that be realized that they couldn't stop it. So then it becomes a money game. How can I monetize mm -hmm. it and, and control it the way that I want it so that I can make money um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day? But when you, you're talking about youth, and that's one of the things I get frustrated in educational circles a lot is that we don't give the youth the voice that they they, they need. But mm -hmm. we think as, as adults, we think we know what's best for them. So we come up with these programs and these ideas and stuff. And I mean, Ukraine, we've done it. We set kids down and say, what can we do for you? Like, you know, this is your this is your education. This is your your you know school. We are as adults need to be able to mold it so that you get the best out of it. Um I think more mm -hmm. educators and adults need to get kids voice because as you can see with the hip hop culture, we're mm -hmm. not at a point now that is it, it crossed so many countries and so many cultures. It's not, you know, can't just say it's a black or brown thing now. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. all over the world. Yeah. And then, and Darcia, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Too. Then you wonder why the students in the classrooms are not engaged. Number one, because mm -hmm. they're tired of you standing in front of the classroom talking about something that they know nothing about, that they can't, you can't activate prior knowledge on something that children were not exposed to, right? Mm -hmm. so if you're meeting them where they are, which is in music, and to go back what you're saying to me, so you have to also think about they didn't have the musical technology that they have now. Mm -hmm. So what did they do to create a beat? They mm -hmm. bumped on the table. They bumped mm -hmm. on the wall. Then from that came the beatboxing, right? Uh -huh. so before we even got to the turntables and the sampling and the music mm -hmm. that they have now. So they were creative geniuses without nothing. Dr. Stop and Scott, can can we get an example of beat, what beat this beatboxing is? Because it looks like you're ready to go. <laughs> hold on, hold on. First of all, you know I'm a music lover, and you know I love people, so stop playing. Don't make me have to go get my microphone and get a couple bars for y'all. Stop playing. You were at the talent show at Pleasantville High School, Spence. Stop playing. You know, you know I break. That was, and that was very critical. Why? Because I couldn't rap, so I was very critical. <laughs> But I want to touch on something that Darshell said. In, in today's educational arena, we talk about STEM, right? And and mm -hmm. you know that was the original STEM, making something out of nothing, right? Mm -hmm. so even in this, I, we don't want to give it all away because it's part of our presentation too. But um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, even the DJ, and you know, uh, I think um, with Grandmaster Flash was talking about mm -hmm. how he created the slip mat and and how he uses a mathematical formula to count the revolutions. It's so much mm -hmm. stuff. Feminists and involved in hip hop, and hip hop gave birth to a lot of stuff that we are seeing now in the educational mm -hmm. arena. These kids, these kids that live the culture, are not connected to it because a lot of educators aren't bringing that into the classroom, and that's what we're trying to do um, with our presentations. There's a lot of value. There's a lot of obviously history. There's a lot of uh, things that we can learn out of out of the birth of hip hop, even today, and how it has changed and expanded mm -hmm. and things of that nature as well. There, there was a time when. Um myself and uh, Dr. Scott uh, worked together. And I remember she bought me a piece of paper that was delivered from her, from the art teacher. And this particular student um, was like writing stuff. Like this kid, I not liked him, always liked him. She really liked him, but I always liked him because he, he was one of me so in the classroom before we had our, um, what was it, the math bowl that we had, Scott? And yeah. I remember, he couldn't get off his threes. And she was like, Spence, I don't know what to do. He, he couldn't get off his threes. And there was another kid that was walking down the hallway, third grade, 
and laughed at him. He was like, that's why you don't know your three times tables. And he was like, so what? That's why you can't beat me. I thought <laughs> that was genius. <laughs> that's a genius response. Because the kid kept walking, and he didn't say nothing else about no multiplication after that. But <laughs> we, we, see, we soon realized that we, we needed to help our kids, and we, we created the competition. But going back to this particular kid, he was in our class, and he started writing down some stuff. You know, and for whatever reason, that note got brought to Darshell, and and she looked at it, and like always, they called me. Have no idea why they called me. And always. Trying to decipher rather not if this was an actual song or if this was an actual threat. Mm. So, so Jamie, how how do you determine rather not if a student is writing a song or if it's an actual threat? I mean, is it directed towards somebody or are they just- Oh, that's, you better believe because he had his nine millimeter and he was going to do some things. Mm -hmm. but was he just getting thoughts out of his head or was he directing it towards someone specific? That there's a difference between getting what's in your head down on paper and taking your words and putting it towards someone. Well, we, we have songs that play in our head throughout the day. And depending on rather not if we're going to be engaged or not, we may take the time and start writing down songs that we may enjoy. So if this particular kid decided that he was going to start writing something. And I'm asking from a teacher's perspective, how can you decipher rather not if this is an actual threat or if he's actually writing a song? I think that I, I'm someone that listens to music all day long. And regardless of what the lyrics are in the songs, I need that music to help me focus and get through my school day. So he might have just been taking that and putting it down on paper in order to move forward past that moment. And it might have not been geared towards anyone in particular, but getting it from his head onto the paper was helping him to move past whatever was keeping him in that spot. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Spence, but where I grew up, if I have a problem with somebody, I'm not writing a song about it. <laughs> Go ahead and see it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm not writing a song <laughs> I remember, right, because we I knew sign language early when I was younger, and I knew what this meant. When somebody look at you and they, they do this and they look at the clock, be like, yeah, three o'clock. Me, yeah. And you knew exactly, okay, it's going down. Now, how can I get attention so I don't have to fight? I gotta save face. <laughs> I know I gotta act up so I can get detention. That's but too funny. There, there's a and, and Terrence, you're, you're a lot younger than us, but there, there's a huge gap between like my era and the music that was made back in 80s, 90s to the music that's being made now. Mm -hmm. um, and some people do not want to give young artists credit for the messages that they're delivering because it doesn't compare to what was made back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But what's your take on that? Um, I, You know, uh, I think to us, and I'm, it's, it's a younger crowd too, younger than me, that mm -hmm. is making some music with messages in it, but it wouldn't, and yeah, and the same thing with my generation, it, it wouldn't compare to the songs that had messages when I listened to them. So it's a little bit different, like the songs that are coming out today with messages, it does connect to them as our songs in the past connected to us. Mm -hmm. You know, like Tupac's All Eyes on Me, uh, not All Eyes on Me, I'm sorry, um, Me Against the World, that song mm -hmm. connected to me when I was younger. I was a big Tupac fan, and um, mm -hmm. that was the first album that I heard when I was younger, and um, 
you know, and then when I hear like some of the younger kids today, they drop a song that is very touching, you know, it might talk about drug abuse and things like that, stuff they're going through, depression, uh, breakups. And I would I would feel it, you know, I, I like it, but it may not be where I'm at today. So I think mm -hmm. that happens with every generation. It's always gonna be a generation with a new message, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, and you know, it, it's definitely different, like, uh, but Grandmaster Flash is the me the message, you know, that I I studied that, you know, hip hop history. So I heard it and I get the message and it still applies today, too, as well. You know, mm -hmm. and um, that's when the messages are very strong, when it can when it's still. um, When it can reach other generations who look upon that and that's the strongest message and the messages changes as well as the when the world changes now what the message that song the message a lot of the stuff he was talking about that's still going on in today we still mm -hmm. got impoverished communities and uh gangs and things like that so you're still going to kind of hear that message in different ways today you know but now the kids have new messages new experiences you know uh drug drug use and hip-hop is even stronger than it was in the past um you know drug abuse and music period has been around for a long time, long, long time. But in mm -hmm. hip hop culture, now it's becoming now it's becoming a part of the culture and it's not good at all. But that's what these kids are getting into the industry with. So their message is gonna be like that. You know, it's gonna be about the uh drug abuse and violence and things like that. So let me ask you this question as a businessman, like how do you make that balance of putting out content that you truly feel versus content which you are, your audience truly feels, right? Because there's a lot of artists out there that I've heard say, you know, I don't know how to put myself out there so that the people will accept it. So I'm going to be this type of person because now I got to, you know, obviously try to make money, try to sell things. So I'm going to put this song out because I think that's what people want. So as a business man, like how do you make that determination of, or is it, has there been a situation where you're, you're really putting out music that you personally may not feel, but because your audience is feeling it, um, you you feel like you have to put that out. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially um, when you're an artist and and you're running a business. Um, it's kind of like you want to give what your fans want to hear, for sure. But then you have to be authentic in a way that it feels comfortable to you to explain it. So uh, like with me, for instance, I rap in a way where it talks about the streets, but also it can give you some knowledge about other things. Like I might throw some information about stocks. I might throw some information about um, buying a house or land or different things like that. Or it might give you that, um, that different thought like, hey, you might not wanna do this crime. It, it might be in your mind, but you might not want to do this. You can channel it in another way, or you can say, hey, I don't even have to express it in that way. So you just got to be a little bit more creative because when I was younger, I'm, I was kind of just like that kid that wrote those, the song that Kareem was talking about that wrote those lyrics, and it might've seemed like a threat, but, and maybe it was, but the way he channeled it, instead of saying it out loud and instead of acting it out, he channeled it by writing it. Um, like Jamie was saying, and I think that um, some kids have to express it that way. They have to express it as opposed to actually acting it out. They might not want to act it out, 
but in their mind, it's just how they put it together. So I was just like that when I first started rapping because that's all that was around was gangster rap. That was the it. And it's still the it now, but you know, I started off writing like that, but I was having an issue. And it started when I started going to college, I started thinking different. I started mm-hmm. reading different books and everything. So, you know, started thinking different and everything about the community, about how I can um, kind of, and then running a business at the same time, but it gives you these thoughts like, hey, do I really want to still write like this? I know so much more, I can put so much into it, but if you started off writing like that, it's definitely hard to transition, especially when your fans know you from a gangster rapper, know you from all these things, and it's hard to switch it up because they may not feel it. But if you keep on going and trying to insert different things, and it is a process, which is a process I'm still in, but once you get on with that process, you're going to add new fans, and also your old fans are going to start to think different. They're going to be like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, you can't always be that tough guy all the time. You know what I mean? So you make different songs. Like, Kareem, we talked about this in our presentation, and we look at the, the careers of Jay Z and Tupac, right? So when mm-hmm. they came in, they were talking the street yeah. stuff. And mm-hmm. So what they were doing, and these are brilliant men. Let me mm-hmm. get the audience. And once I have your attention, I'm going to move you over here now. So now mm-hmm. you look at Jay-Z's music. Now I can talk to you about real stuff, you know, uh, mm-hmm. fidelity, being a father and all these other stuff that you yeah. wasn't to me mm-hmm. before. Tupac had a whole plan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He, he died before he was able to fulfill it. But let yeah. me have your attention. And once I have your mm-hmm. attention, now I can mobilize the community to start doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, did the same thing. I mean, there's countless of people and artists that I think they get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? You can't come in and, and, and just start preaching to people. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. those type of people. They're not going to feel it. And sometimes you got to go in that way. Here's my concern. So, we understand that the rap music from our era was talking about things that were going on in real life at that time. So, now that we're in a new era, we understand that these young folks are faced with crime, drugs, sexuality, things of that nature are at an all-time high when it comes to them now, right? Mm -hmm. So we want them to be able to express themselves through this art of rap music. But if you remember when Motown had artist development people, remember when they used to talk about Mm -hmm. that, how they would get all these groups that Motown had plenty of groups, boy groups, girl groups, they were all fresh out of high school, but they had talent management for them, right? Mm-hmm. Is there, maybe it is something that it does exist already, but is there a way that, you know, brother, people like you who have their own business who are, you know, aware and conscious now and others that might be established well in the business can help these children or help these new artists come through so that their stuff is not watered down because we want it to be as real as possible so that the children, so that their peers can relate, but in a more artistic manner because they don't have that kind of time that Jay-Z has to say, I'm going to give you this, but my master plan is to switch you over to this because Mm -hmm. they don't have that kind of time. They don't Mm -hmm. They don't have that kind of money. They don't have that kind of time. So is there any way to develop this kind of talent management thing that grooms them into saying, okay, so we know that your mom did drugs and she sold her body to take care of the family. Is there a creative way that we can say it where it's not watered down, 
you still don't lose your gangster and we still it's still hot and people still want to listen to it because as an educator i have a 10 year old son as well and some of this rap music is challenging right but i have to listen to it yeah. i have to be in touch and keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on in this community now you know that's not my son's story but there is it is somebody's story no. so how do we develop something like that that keeps their story intact but not water it down but still it's presentable in a way if that makes sense i think um i think it has to have you got to have mentor mentorship within your business and mentorship is the is the new or actually yeah it is the new artist development because even with artist development in the beginning of hip-hop days with gangster rap it wasn't really a mentorship mm -hmm. but i think like um on a bigger scale i believe jay-z is um with his rock nation he's uh helping like meek mills and teaching uh yo Gotti how to mentor younger artists and try to keep them out of the streets when they get signed and i think that is the um the key to it because it's really um with these situations we lost a lot of young rappers in a couple mm -hmm. years in a couple years you know due to gun violence and stuff like that so i think the key is once once you the um the youth decides that they want to be an artist they need to be removed from the the hangout crew you can still be friends with them but you need to be in the crew where it fosters your creativity you know where where you're working on your craft you know where you're you're working on music working on your voice your sound because if you don't and then also you gotta have the understanding that you gotta push the understanding, the narrative that look, these artists are creating music. Little baby's not in the street no more. He's actually on the road concerts. When he says trapping, he means rapping, and his his rapping is the new trap for him. So mm -hmm. that that idea, that narrative needs to be expressed to these young artists that want to be um, rappers. Because I had that issue when I listened to Tupac. When I listened to um. Jay-Z in a certain time period or Beanie Siegel, those artists like that. I used to think, or Lil Wayne, big, big time Lil Wayne, that I used to think, oh, these guys are really in the street. And I know, and I know this is how all these kids, my my nephew, this is how everybody's thinking when they hear these songs at that young age. It's like, yo, this person's in the street. Oh, this person bust that gap. But no, this person's in the studio creating music <laughs> and mm -hmm. talking about these topics these are storytellers so that's the that's the um the facts that need to be expressed about the industry yeah there's some guys that were knee deep in the in the street and in gang activity and they're trying to escape through music so yeah they have a lot of baggage coming into the game so it is some people that are really like that that really have that baggage when they get in but it's but the activity that they're, the business that they're in and the activity that they're they're doing is making music and that needs to be understood. You could talk, you could say whatever you want, long as it's real to you on the track, mm -hmm. on the music, but you don't have to live it out. You know, you really don't have to live it out. You can leave it as a conceptual album or whatever the case may be, but they just need to understand that 
you're doing two things. You got to separate that. And I think the youth has to be separated from the streets once they decide that they want to be in the music industry. Look, you can't do both. And, um, and the mentorship is important. Like you got to be there every step of the way. And um, I don't even think artist development is a thing nowadays, but that needs to come back because especially yeah. in hip hop, because we're losing a lot of young artists. There's no way that you should be a manager and you're allowing your artists like Juice World to uh, consume so many drugs. I don't care what what you. I don't care if that's what you want to do. When you're the artist, you're the you're the Grammy Award winner and all this other stuff. No, you're messing up your brand. You're messing up you as a business. But what about like Pop Smoke? And Pop Smoke. I mean, it's still a lot. I don't really know too much. He he was in a gang, but I don't really know too much about that murder because the details isn't out but apparently his address was leaked it's always going to be people on the outside yeah it's always going to be people on the outside of the industry that is going to be plotting on you and that's the same thing with tupac even though you know they did get into a fight like right before you know he got shot in the las vegas casino and everything he they fought they beat up somebody but we don't know if that's stemmed from there but it's like you kind of got to watch your activity. Like maybe Tupac shouldn't have went after that guy in the casino that day, or maybe uh, Pop Smoke's friend shouldn't have released the address to Pop Smoke, knowing that he is affiliated with gangs and things like that. It's like you got to be very careful, especially today, social media, everything's on camera. Everything's mm -hmm. on camera. People, it is people that are in the street that will plot on artists. You know, because they know that they're even the people in the street, they know that artists are not actively um, within street activity. They are more active in music activity than street activity. So those who are active in street activity are going to plot or can think about plotting on artists who are talking about the street life, but mainly in music activity. So it's very tough. It's very tough for artists today. So let, let me ask this question. This is for anyone to answer. Um, we all know the backstory behind Barry White. You know, Barry White put that work in. Um, but he wasn't as connected to, I want to say, the streets. So why is that R&B so much different than hip hop? <laughs> it's more love in R&B. It's more <laughs> love in R&B. <laughs> Barry White supposedly, Barry White supposedly took somebody's life. Oh man, you know, it's, that's tough. But any, I mean, I don't. I really don't know Barry White's story, but I, I feel like people can definitely uh, people can snap for different reasons, you know. And I don't know if you know. I gotta look. I definitely gotta look up Barry White. But it's oh, I'm sorry, Terrence. This is before he started making like number one hits. Oh, he killed somebody before he made it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, you got to look at it from this. Anybody who is yeah. trying to get the bag will do anything that they have to do to provide for their families. I mean, okay. maybe being a, a number one artist was not in his horizon at that time. And the only thing that he could see was, I got to do what I got to do for my family. Now, I'm sure in retrospect, I'm sure he probably wish he would have handled things a little bit differently. But I think yeah. that those that are in the R&B side and those that are in the rap side, I think that they kind of come from two different communities, like, so to speak. No? 
Well, the, the connection is different. So when yeah. you when you have somebody like a, a Chris Brown, right, who goes throughout his entire career, and then all of a sudden he becomes gang affiliated. Yeah. You wait until you have like three or four number one hits, then all of a sudden you become gang affiliated. But then you have someone, um, what's Mariah Carey' husband name? Nick Cannon. You have someone like Nick Cannon who openly admits that before he got to entertainment, he was affiliated. But he's not like a target. Go ahead, Mr. I think the difference is, and I think Terrence touched on it a little bit too, is, is about who you surround yourself with, right? It's about, it's, and we talk about it all the time. We, we, we try to put people around us that are smarter than us, that we're part of us, and we try to beat them. Right. So what we have now, you have these young people who have loyalty to their people in their industry. So they're putting people in powerful positions that don't know what they're doing. So it's easy for them to say you should move this way because that's how you move on the block. But the game is different. Right. So you surround yourself around people that know what they're doing and obviously have your best interest at heart. But um, and that's going to change throughout the course of your life. Right. So you might come into the music game with one set of people that are able to get you to one level. But you got to be able to be smart enough to move and say, all right, you you maxed out, right? So now I have to go mm -hmm. find somebody else so that you won't find yourself in these situations. Now, I think part of Chris Brown's issue is he may have done that, but the people that he put himself around recently are not mm -hmm. good for it. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these, all of these artists, a lot of these artists that are getting themselves caught up is because they don't have the right support systems around them to get them mm -hmm. maneuver past that. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Miso. So how does that explain the the rise of of like like Jay, who in the beginning openly admits that this is what I've done, mm -hmm. but somehow, some way, he was able to escape it and continue to move up versus allowing people to bring him down. But even if you look at Jay-Z's career and the people that he had around him, he's always been about putting people around him that are better than him. That's why Rock okay. fellow fellow. That's why, you know, he get now he got Rock Nation. Now he's, mm -hmm. I'm sure that the people that are around him without, with the exception of maybe one or two people that he groomed are not at every single business venture that he has. It's not mm -hmm. the same circles because these people are not going to be able to transfer some of these knowledge over to these different avenues. So where you got mm -hmm. these young artists who might want to get into the apparel game are putting their boys in and don't know it. Yeah, he might be a sneakerhead, but he don't know the business side of it. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? It's really about who you put yourself around and, and putting yourself, like I said, around people that's going to challenge you and it's going to push you um, and and to that next level. And you should always mm -hmm. look for that opportunity to to expand and, and maneuver in that case, in that, in that situation. I think Jay-Z is a prime situation or example. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I, I actually uh, reference Jay-Z a lot, like, and I'll go to look up his his lyrics and everything like that. His catalog mm -hmm. was very calculated. Like his first album, Reasonable Doubt, he was talking about this street life, but he was saying how, look, I got a, I got a plan to get up out this. This is my plan. Uh, you know, you might know me as drug dealer, whatever, but now you're going to know me as this type of drug dealer. I'm pushing this music drug, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it was like, this is, and then his next album and so on and so on, he kept on progressing. It was like, I'm going to provide you with this knowledge about my transition. You're going to see me be the biggest billionaire, the best, you know, the first billionaire, black billionaire from hip hop, like he had this mapped out. And that's another mm -hmm. thing that we got to teach people. Um, well, youth and um, artists, which I never even, I didn't learn that either. I'm just starting to think about this stuff on a, on a higher level is to be strategic 
with your releases, your albums, the topics you want to talk about, and where you want to be in 10 years. Like, I feel like Jay-Z mm -hmm. had his goals mapped out, his personal goals and his professional goals mapped out 10 years, 20 years, and then he aligned his albums with those goals and the release mm -hmm. dates of, you know, those goals and when he wants to achieve them. So, you know, he, he definitely was very calculated in a I way. Mean, on some level, he gave us three blueprint albums. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not clear. <laughs> It has to be. I, I'm giving you three blueprints. You know? Exactly. exactly. From a, a, a music standpoint, a business standpoint, I'm here. I've laid it out the plan for you. Whether mm -hmm. you listen to it or not. I, I, I listened to, like, there's about maybe 15, maybe 200 different theories on what happened that night at the Bruce Sheldon versus the Mike Tyson fight, which um, ultimately led to um, the loss of Tupac. This young man at the time made over 200 songs in 280 days. Wow. I don't think people ever even acknowledge that man's work ethic yeah. at all. Him, Jay, um, let's say even Puff, like Puff has a tremendous work mm -hmm. ethic. Yeah. Um, and even like starting something as far as being an intern, go ahead. So it's, it's a gift and a curse, right? So I look at people like Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, right? Who has an unbelievable talent and go in the booth and not write anything down and, and, and remember all that stuff, right? So then mm -hmm. young people feel like, oh, I could do that. And now we're getting this watered-down version of the, yeah. the music that's out there because these guys had a gift that was beyond this world, right? Even still, they didn't see the fact that Jay-Z probably has, and, and Lil Wayne probably has a catalog of at least probably 20 albums that have not come out because they've been in the studio that mm -hmm. much, right? They don't see that that work ethic. And I think I read something, even to switch over to R&B, I think there was, um, Beyonce had said that she was recording for like three days and forgot to eat. Like that's how focused mm -hmm. she was mm -hmm. on that craft. And I think these people, mm -hmm. you know, they think it's easy. They go in there and say the first thing that's in their brain and then they, they release it and then they got their voice saying, oh, that's hot. And then you know, mm -hmm. we got the watered down, down version instead of, I'm gonna go in here and perfect it, right? And then mm -hmm. in the presentation, we talk about um, how lyrics are drawn up. In that one clip, we have Eminem, and he talks about mm -hmm. how uh, the words are like puzzle pieces and putting stuff together. Like there's an artistry behind it, but a lot of these kids, I don't think they they don't understand how depth the depth of what it is to make uh, music on that level. You know, let alone the, the work ethic. I think so, that goes back to the mentorship, though, as well. If you don't have the right people that are mentoring these kids and so there go you got the people in there that's just you know they look at the raw talent and they see dollar signs so mm -hmm. they go in there like yeah let them spit this out really quick we can get this out and make this money and then you don't hear anything from those kids ever again so mm -hmm. you know you have to have good mentorship that are surrounding these children so that they know what good work ethic looks like that's another thing who's giving them this work ethic that they didn't see it from mom and dad because dad was a pimp and mom was doing her thing so where do they right. get this work ethic from they don't know anything about that they have to be taught right and there's adults that are doing the same thing because i show you going for your doctorate i just got mine people don't see and we talked about it off air a little bit people don't see the grind that we right. they didn't see us up four o'clock in the morning typing that paper trying to get stuff in and going to work they don't see that grind right so it, mm -hmm. you know it kind of looks easy from the outside oh you got right. the doctorate i go ahead and do it until you in it then so let's let's which gives me so just a little bit and I want to talk about the issue of ghostwriting. 
again, I want to go back to the very beginning. Even Sugar Hill, and he, that man, I don't even understand how he didn't have in his mind that he's saying he's saying somebody else is wrong. Like you naming somebody else in your song, and you don't even recognize it. So I want to talk about ghostwriting. I think though it. I think it's one of the changes of the culture right now. Because back in the day, like you couldn't bite somebody's stuff, let alone have somebody else write it for you. They gonna call you out on it, right? Yeah. And, and it just blows my mind that these artists, I don't even know if I can call them artists or some level. I know they, they go in and they put the work in it, but I just can't see myself, because I used to write too, and I can't see myself having reciting someone else's lyrics. Like to me, that just doesn't, to me that's like writing a dissertation and having somebody else write it for me. But I get the accolades for it, right? I present the data, but I didn't write the paper. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, uh, ghostwriting is still a big thing. Like we still, in the hip hop culture, we still like, nah, you you know, you gotta write that. You know, you, you oh, you ghost wrote it. Oh, it's not real, it's not, you know, but in the music industry, songwriting has, you always had a run of songwriters. You always, so I think that be, got into hip hop because in the past it wasn't. Yeah, you can't ghostwrite. Nobody was ghostwriting. Everybody wrote their own rhymes, but I think once the industry started seeing how much money they can get off hip hop and how much a hit can make um, in certain deals, they're pro they're like thinking, okay, let's get some uh, hit makers in the room. Let's get some people who historically had hits. Let's get them in the room. Um, let's, let's even get some young songwriters and things like that. So little by little, songwriters have been inserted into hip hop. And like with Drake and everything, I can't fault him for taking a hit from the songwriter who the songwriter is not doesn't want to be the artist you know they might want to write a course for them and drake takes it and runs with it like um or any any artist and everything which i don't see nothing wrong with it when i think of it from a music perspective but just acknowledge the songwriter make sure that songwriter is on the credit so we know okay they had a part in this song um, and most of the time it's just some type of melody. Like now you can get written down on a hit song as a songwriter if you just had the melody, if you just had some type of like a uh, vibe to the beat, it doesn't even have to be a lyric. You know, it can be just like if you hum a certain type of way of rapping the lyric and the artist like, hey, I like that flow. I'm gonna write lyrics to that vibe that you just created on this beat. And they get listed as a songwriter and they get their percentages and everything like that. But a whole verse, I can't see me, myself, I can't see myself rapping someone's whole verse unless it's uh, something I know I couldn't write. If I have a writer's block, I might, I haven't yet, I always wrote my own music, but I've wrote for other people and it's like, um, they might not have been able to write the lyrics to this particular song or this particular beat, but they love the beat. Like I can see myself uh, being creative on this beat, I just don't have the words to it. So it's like, can you write me some words to this? And you know, that's when you write like a little, uh, sort of like a bl blueprint for the song and then let the artist play with the lyrics. Like, hey, I might not, I can't see myself saying this. So I'm just gonna change that to this, but it still rhymes with the overall rhyme scheme. So that's when it becomes a collaborative thing. So you know? I think that part of it is very well respected. Yeah. That's understood, it's well respected. But if somebody's writing your rhymes and you in the streets talk about something, you whack, you ain't dope, I'm spitting fire, you ain't spitting, and you ain't write your own stuff, 
That's a problem. Yeah, no, nah, you can't talk like that, though. <laughs> Kareem, do you think it's really a, a, the conversation is really about business versus the art form itself, right? So I think that I, as an artist myself, like I would have a problem with someone creating something for me just because I'm an artist, right? But I can also see it from a business standpoint of, well, I need to be able to put this out or you know what i mean i need to reach a certain population so that i can move whatever but i, I think me is it's i don't because if you change it change the, the product whether you're a painter now right i'm painting this mm -hmm. picture to me it's silly for you to come in and you painted the picture and i signed it it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to me. it doesn't make sense in any other art form other yeah, yeah. than did hip-hop well what, what separated hip-hop from other genres is that it was genuine mm -hmm. that's what the art was supposed to have been it was genuine and you can't compare it to any other genre because there's no instruments that would start out. We had no instruments. Like Darcel said, you make some noise and you just went ahead. Like what nobody nobody would like actually singing in the park, other than like the uh, New Jack City song when they had like a little fireplace. But other than that, um, you know, what nobody actually in the park? Like you had people in the park and they had jams in the park. Why? Because it was no money, but it was genuine. And you seen people's art forms. Now, when you have someone, I don't want to say her name, but like Cardi B, so you have somebody is not only dressing you, but you also have someone that is doing your makeup, helping you with like the dances and stuff like that, and writing this song. So, in reality, who are you? Are you an artist? Yeah. You have so many other people doing it for you. It's, it's kind of like, um, Within me, and I feel like with major labels having such an investment in the artist and an ownership in the artist, like I, in, I think actually the 2000s, some of the artists that the early 2000s, like some of the artists that had some knowledge about creative control, like hey, I want my creative control and things like that, they got it. Like Jay Z got it. Um, it's still artists today that are signing these deals and they don't have creative control. Like hey, we love the songs that you made when you were in your bedroom. Now that we got a big investment in you, we want this songwriter in here who is also under our contract. We want this songwriter in here and that's how we're gonna make our next hit for you. And I feel like that's where the artists, now the artists are feeling like, look, no, nah, I want my creative control. It's like, I'm not having fun anymore. So like mm -hmm. with me, like when I drop a song, if I drop a song, um, people might not like it or whatever the case may be, but I feel like that's the art in itself. The song that I dropped, oh, that's that's the best it could be. And that's that's how I wanted to express myself. But I can't see a label or someone coming in and say, hey, no, don't release that. You got to scrap that version. You got to go in there and do it again. Wait, hold on. This is how I envisioned myself singing this song, expressing this song. But that's, that's how... I, that's why I feel like the artists that are signed to some of these deals today, they're like, oh man, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't think the music industry was gonna be like this. I didn't mm -hmm. think that um, I'm not gonna be the only one writing my songs because now it's no longer my song. You know what so I mean? So let me ask, let me ask this real fast. So do we blame Herbie, you know, Harvey, um, a Herbie Lovebug for this? Because you know, he wrote all Salt and Pepper songs. I mean, some people are performers, not everybody are songwriters. That's why I'm saying songwriting been in the industry forever, forever. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, and all all those R&B jams and everything like uh, in the past and even in the 60s, some people wrote 
for like even like one of my it's a oh it's probably funny because I always talk about this person and nobody really likes this person, but well talks about this person, but Frankie Lyman. Y'all know y'all seen the mm-hmm. movie and it, just the way he sung it, it even when I was younger, it kind of captivated me when I seen that movie, um, Why the Fools Fall in Love. But uh one of the guys, the label owner, he was the one that was writing the songs to you know, um, the teenagers and Frankie Lyman, he was writing those songs, the label owner, and he owned the copyright. He basically owned them, owned Frankie Lyman and everything. He still probably owns it to this day, but um, and I think he yeah. passed away. But it's just like, they were performers. They had the voice. They probably could write songs, yeah. but he had some songs in his own little catalog, like, hey, I want you to sing these songs. And they were great songs, you know? So some people are Performers, and that was going on in the industry forever and still till this day. That's why uh, songwriting is actually a like that's a good job to have if you get in good with it. But you know, it's always been songwriters and performers. Like some people can't can't write songs, but they can perform very well. Beautiful voice or have that cadence, you know, that ability to hype up the crowd. But I just can't make a hit song. You know, Jamie, I think we've been thinking this whole educational thing wrong. I think we need to have ghostwriting <laughs> for our lesson plans, and we just go to perform them. But I mean, I, I get it and I respect that. But at the same time, I don't see how artists can argue about publishing and rights if you're not technically writing. I know it's your voice, yeah. is, but you didn't really create the art. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? That I don't know. It's just. Sure, so we're gonna wrap this up to me. So so we, we gotta go into um hip hop love songs. I don't think it's enough, you know, mm. love songs. So Darcy, I want you to start. Give me your list of hip hop love songs. What you got? So last time I asked this question, right? Last time I asked this question, Miso's homeboy was like, Yeah, Biggie Smalls. And I had to point out exactly what was in that song. What was what was the song name, Miso? Me and me and my Yes, it was that song. So as he was talking, I'm listening. I'm thinking about the first, like the first bar. I'm like, no, I've never been in love like that before. Mm-mm, I don't know about that kind of love. Well, you got LL Cool J. I need love. I mean, that's the first thing I can think of. That's a hip hop. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, hip hop love songs. Yes. I mean, it depends on how you want to define love. Are we talking about a love between a man and a woman? Because I'm thinking common off the bat. I used to love. Man, listen, we ain't, we yeah. in a crazy world right now. It's no longer it's man and woman. It's man, man, girl, girl. It's all kind of stuff now. Jeez, Again, God. the views of Kareem Spence does not align with the empowerment perspective. <laughs> Please do not start hating us. You can hate him, but don't hate us. <laughs> and um, the the song Renee was deep. Uh, that was a good one. Lost voice. I'm gonna let you off the hook, Darcel. What you got, Terrence? Hip hop love song. How about Dear Yvette? That's a love song. Uh, okay. Dear Yvette, a love song. <laughs> so so, so is uh, what is it? Brenda got a big old butt. That's a love song. <laughs> that was. It's a love song. You want hip hop love songs? There you got it. There you got it. Yeah. All the catalog is love song. Do <laughs> <laughs> it. You got turn. I was gonna uh, bring up like some songs today but i mean you're right it's not too many people just rapping solely about love but uh it's one song that i like which is you know they say r&b is not uh you know r&b has to make a comeback now and a lot of people are doing r&b i don't think it left it's just people aren't really choosing to listen to those r&b singers and people who want to do Mm r&b but one of the love songs i would say which is 
I guess it would be considered R&B, but it's in the hip hop genre too. It's called Worth It by YK Osiris. Mm, um, okay. It's a young, young artist. It's real good. It's, um, it was on the Billboard charts for a little bit too, but that's a nice love song that everybody was feeling to, uh, today. And it's like, we can do songs like this. We can have more songs like this, you know, but mm -hmm. I don't know how many people want to write love songs like that. Well, if they sell it. I got I got a few, but you know I haven't put them out yet. I'm going with the guy. Let us know, Jamie. What you got? Hip hop love songs. Hip hop love songs. I don't really Start like the playlist. I don't really like love songs. What? But, um, yeah. You got no love in your heart. You don't, you don't have no love for for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. You don't love you don't yeah. love Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. He's really got no love for Snoop Dogg. I'm not, I don't like, but I can think of um, when Method Man and Mary J. Blas did this song, you're all there. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, there you go. That's a good one. That's a good one. Good pick. One song, that's all you got? Is one? I don't do love. You need more love. That's a that's a whole nother podcast. Oh, I don't yeah. do love. Right love. You hear that America? Jamie needs some love. So no, <laughs> don't, don't thank you. Uh, we do have to go to your segment before we get out of here, though. So um, all things little, um, we got to go to your your segment again. Jamie's two feet tall, so we want to find out what are some small things in her life that she does not like. Small things that I don't like. I'm gonna go with something easy today. I don't like small dogs. So I'll let Kareem off the hook unless he affiliates himself with a. a I'm a big dog. dog. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a big dog. <laughs> <laughs> a little dog. I'm a big dog. What, what's the matter with small dogs? They're, they're just they're aggressive. They're never happy. They're always barking at someone. That's I have a very small dog and then I have a very big dog. My small dog's, uh, I, it's not a nice word. It's, he's just not a nice guy. <laughs> Even dogs have Napoleon complex. See, that's what it is. <laughs> I don't need no short, short man. That thing. Yeah. Especially them chihuahuas. They just as Yes. I want to kick one of them bad boys one day. Look at this. I'm going to kick the crap out of a chihuahua like a kickball back in the day in the schoolyard. That's <laughs> the, the, the view of, of Dr. Scott. And then I'm going I'm to write a gangster rap song about it. I'm going to get you to, I'm gonna get you to produce it, Terrence. And we're going to get in the bag and we're going to make some money. And that's going to be that. The, the views of Dr. Darshan Scott like <laughs> truly image of the empowerment perspective. Did, it, did you learn anything from Mike Vick? Leave them dogs alone. Who let the dogs out? That's what I want to know. Who let the dogs out? And that's exactly why Mike Vick had to go sit down for a whole year because his, his friends let the dogs out. <laughs> oh, God. oh, my God. So we're going to wrap this podcast up. We definitely appreciate both of you guys for, for uh, stopping by and spending time with us. Um, I'm going to start with you, Terrence. Any last words? If anyone is interested in getting to the music industry, um, some words of uh, advice for them or words of wisdom. 
Okay. Uh, first, I wanted to thank y'all for letting me uh, get on your podcast, and I, I like what y'all doing. Uh, keep it up. And uh, to anyone out there that wants to do music um, or wants to play some role in the music industry, um, definitely do your research. Um, uh, study about the business. There's tons of books out there on the, um, on the music industry. Um, also know exactly what you want to do. Know that the music industry is changing. So when you step into this industry, uh, step in with boldness and step in with your voice and don't let anybody, like a lot of people will say, oh, I know the industry, I know the industry. And they want to, um, push you to do it a certain way. But if you already have an idea about the industry, you can you can follow that dream or that idea about the industry. And that's exactly what Jay-Z did. He had an idea about the industry. It wasn't common for him to be independent. It wasn't common for him to do some of the things that he did. So if you have uncommon ideas, when you step into the industry, stick to it. Don't let nobody turn you off about those ideas. Say, hey, this is how I see, I, how I view the industry. Don't let the industry view you in a certain way. You view the industry in your own vision and, um, you know, study, don't sign any contracts until you read, you got a lawyer to read it. And even after the lawyer reads it, have five other family members read it. Just make sure you know what you're signing and getting into. And to all the artists out there, it is a way to be a star and own your copyrights. Just just know that. And, and, and most of the time, uh, in other industries, they get the owner copyrights. So why can't artists own their copyrights? They made the creative work. So just have that understanding. And that's the that's the way the industry is going right now is artist ownership. You know, so always think about that. Awesome. Dr. Scott, any last words from you other than kicking dogs? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't kick them that hard. Maybe just a tad bit, not that hard. But I, I appreciate you guys having me back. Uh, it's always, always a good time to sit and kick it with you guys. It's so enlightening. And I learned so much from being around you guys as well. Um, also, as an educator, I encourage all you educators out there to start meeting these children where they are. I'm talking about all of those in the K-12 education, public education sector. Please start meeting these children where they are. Stay on top of what's hip, even if you're not a hip person. Stay on top of what they're doing, what they're listening to, whether it's rock music, whether it's rap music, whether it's whatever it is that they're listening to. And I also want to share a resource for um, the K-8 teachers, Flowcabulary. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Flowcabulary covers every content area from high-frequency words, science, social studies, main events. Nouns, verbs, adjectives, uh, division, multiplication, decimals, fractions, you name it, and it's all through hip-hop. So make sure that you start sharing that with them and start meeting them where they are, and you will see a difference in your engagement in the classroom, and you will see a difference in their um, behavior in the classroom. I got another resource for you out there too. Make sure you come see us at the Palmer Perspective Group because that's what we do. We teach you how to reach and teach today's hip hop generation. So make sure you reach out to us. Jamie, any last words from you? Um, so just feeding off of what um, Darshan said, vocabulary is free right now. 
um, because of the the virus, it's free. So I actually created a <laughs> you say it's free because family. of virus. <laughs> because of the virus, you can go in. Um, I use it every day in my classroom. Um, there's actually a lesson in there that teaches the beginning of hip hop. So you can show that to your students, and then um, think outside of the box when you're making assignments. Ask your students what they're interested in doing, and use those types of lessons in your classrooms. And that's what's going to get them to learn. Yep. Ooh, Mr. Petty, what you got? <laughs> well, this is what I don't got. I don't have that virus. We're going to start that right now. So, <laughs> vocabulary is not going to be for me because I don't have that virus. I'm not going to get any virus. How about that? Now, here's the other thing. I think that um, what we pretty much touched upon is being able to utilize hip hop. Um, hip hop across every ethnicity. It's the only culture that you can say that you are without someone looking at you and them saying that you know you're not. Because I try to be Caribbean. Every other day, and Caribbean people say, you know what, you're not Caribbean. Why can't I be Caribbean? But in hip hop, you can say it's you hip hop, and people are going to embrace you. It's the only culture where everybody can be embraced, regardless of their background. Awesome. I think also educators out there, I know I brought it up earlier, um, take a deep look into hip hop, especially when it's related to mm -hmm. them. We also do presentations on that um, and how you know, break dancing is technically not safe, but these kids figured out how to spin on your head that stem and how fast mm -hmm. and slow you can go and all that stuff. So um, there's a lot um, you, we can bring into the educational arena in regards to hip hop. Stop being scared mm -hmm. of it because it's not all about misogynist lyrics and shooting and guns and stuff and actually look into the culture of hip hop. Hip hop mm -hmm. is something you live. Rap is something that you do. If how is a culture, make sure that you um, take the time. If you have, especially have students that, you know, live that culture. It is your duty as an educator to be able to understand your students and understand their culture. So uh, big shout outs again to everybody that's been listening. Again, thanks, Terrence and, and Dr. Scott. And um, as always, we stay here, stay in power.